Um, someone asked me, uh, basically, well, do you share your faith now? <laughs> yeah, let, let me tell you what's happened since I've, I've left Cornerstone. Uh, my ministry is in the Tenderloin in San Francisco, and here's, here's basically what we do. Um, I've got a group of guys, five or six guys, and that I just think the world of, and um, we minister primarily there. It's one square mile. There's 37,000 people in one square mile, 586 apartment buildings, and what we do is we just target a building at a time. Right now, we've got about 14 to 16, I think, buildings that we've adopted, and that means there's an actual leader um, who goes into that building and knows everyone in the building, and we basically knock on every door and just start building relationships. First, say, you know, is there anything I can get you? You know, I'm Francis. They have no clue what I do. I just go, man, I help out the rescue mission if you need any food or whatever. Let me get you something, and they'll say yes or no. Sometimes we'll have bags of groceries. You want one of these? Then we'll just say, hey, can I, can I pray for you about anything? Anything I can pray for you about? We're not here. And, and it's weird. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, like, a um, lot, lot of transvestites, you know, a lot of, you know, just things I'm not used to being from Simi Valley. Um, I've never even smoked pot, so I'm, like, clueless. Um, I got drunk, like, once after Bible study. And... Uh, <laughs> So it's like, here I am working with drug addicts and, uh, you know, people that transgender. I mean, I got a girl's name, but other than that, I, I don't know their world. And, you know, and so we, we knock and sure enough, there's this huge guy dressed as a woman and, and my wife's with me and she's like, yeah, here's some groceries, like, you know, and, and uh, my wife's like, hey, can we, anything we can pray for you about? And and this person answers, you know, and says his name is L'Oreal, and, and uh, says, yeah, you know, I can, I need this, 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 and I was like, hey, can I pray for you right now? And L'Oreal says, yeah, yeah, that'd be great, and so I just start praying, I'm like, God, I pray for L'Oreal that you would help <laughs> L'Oreal to have, you know, you know, my wife, you know, afterwards just gives me this look like, I wasn't screwing around. I didn't know what to call, you know, and, you, you know, and she's like, well, you should. I'm like, what would you have said? You know, <laughs> would you have said him or her? I mean, every time it came to a pronoun, I'm like saying the name. It was so awkward, you know, and uh, I go, you know, she thinks I'm screwing around. I'm like, I didn't know what to do. What would you have said? She goes, I would have said her. I go, but God created her, her as a him and I'm praying to him. She's like, all right, still, you should have done something different. You know, <laughs> she's always right. You know, so, so it's this whole, it's, it's weird. It's awkward. I don't know what I'm doing, you know, and we've been going, and we're just saying, just let us pray for you and watch what happens when I pray. Like supernatural things happen when I pray. It's all focused on our prayer life, you know, because once they give us a request, I go, man, I know you don't believe in God, but... I do. Let me pray for you. I'm just going to pray that maybe God will do something that will get your attention this week and show you, you know, and then we get our prayer team go, hey, pray for this person, this person, this, you know, pray for this person in room 203, this person, and, and we're just going, God, you got to come through. you got to do something. So when we come back the next week, you go, hey, anything happened? You know, anything weird this week? And when stuff happens, we go, let me tell you about my God. Let me tell you what he's done. And and, you know, some go, wow, Francis, you go in the tenderloin. You guys, it, it, that's kind of the easiest place to go is to the poor first. 
Um, because the rich, you're always bugging them when you try to start a conversation. But we're going into these places where they're locked up in these SROs. No one talks to them. Several of our buildings, people have died in the building, and no one knows till you can smell them because they just don't have visitors. You know, my wife was cleaning one guy's place. She goes, man, it really stunk today. And then we find out the next day, oh, the guy downstairs was rotting away. And we're like, ah, oh, he was 29. We just met him. We didn't get the gospel to him. You, you know, it's that type of thing. And so, man, yeah, I'm getting more brave, getting more courage as I've got these other guys that we want to quit every week. You know, it's been going on for almost a year. We want to quit every week. Church for us on Sunday afternoons is when we gather. Um, there's probably 80 to 100 of us. And I teach for 10 minutes. We sing for 10 minutes. And then we go knock on doors and minister to people and disciple people for about an hour and a half. Then we gather back together and say, what did God do? And people tell stories about what God did. And I'm telling you, the unity I have with these guys, I mean, we, haven't, we don't have a name, you know. Um, maybe we'll call it Converge. I don't know. We don't, I don't know what we're going to. I go, right now we're just a bunch of people that gather together. You know, we hear a little bit from the word, we, we, we worship, you know, we pray. I, I, you know, there's a team that stays back and prays as the rest of us go out and, and talk to people. And then we fellowship over what God has done. And I'm telling you, there is a unity in that group. People that I never would have hung out with before. People that would have irritated me to no end. Suddenly, I love them because you know what? They've got the guts to go knock on doors and share the gospel. So suddenly it's like, man, you know, I actually like you now. You know, I actually, it's kind of like a mission trip, right? You know, a mission trip, you know how you go with the weirdest group that you never hung out with before. And by the end of the trip, you're like, I love her. You know, she's like my grandma. Yeah, she talks a lot, but we, you know, dug this ditch together. We ate this weird food together. You know, why? Because you're on a mission. When you're actually on a mission, you don't fight over little things. You put up with other stuff because you actually need them. Or you're at war, you're not like, I don't like the way, you know, you, you do that or that. Just, just shoot somebody. You, you know, and I'm glad you're fighting alongside of me. I can put up with a lot. That's why Paul, when he writes to the Philippians, he's like, man, I, I miss you guys. I mean, God is my witness. I miss you guys. Why? Because of our partnership in the gospel. And when you have a partnership, it's amazing the unity that takes place. Uh, That's why, like, we don't sit around in our group and go, let's hold hands. Maybe then we'll be closer. You know, let's get in a circle. Let's do this. Let's go do that. It's like, no, let's just go out and share our faith. And it's crazy how close we are. I love these people. Man, I, I just look them in the eyes and I, I get teary some Sundays. I, I get, you know, Sunday afternoons. I don't, you know, I don't really want to go there sometimes because you're just tired. But I get there and I see all these other people who gave up their Sunday afternoon nap, gave up football, showing up, and they're about to go share the gospel. Some of them scared to death. And I go, man, I love these guys. These are my brothers. These are my sisters. And I didn't always feel that when I was just preaching um, at church, to be honest with you. Um, people bugged me. I bugged them. A lot of division. I came from a Baptist General Conference church. They kicked me out. Um, seriously, I, it was uh, this church. John Ortberg used to be the pastor there, and they kicked him out. And then, uh, then I was, and they kicked me out. It's like, well, it's your claim to fame. You got rid of both of us. Um, 
But, I, I, but because it was just, we end up fighting about stupid things when we're not on mission together. Um, we just start nitpicking this or that. But I'm telling you, if you're going side by side into an area where it's scary, we're all nervous, we don't like to share the gospel, we're going to be rejected, and you get rejected together, man, there's some Christian love. There's some fellowship. Um, and I tell you, that's when I finally see the need for the body of Christ because I want to quit every week and these guys are going, no, 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 no. Or then they'll feel like quitting. I'm like, no, no, don't you quit. If I'm not quitting, you're not quitting. You know, and it's just like this band of brothers type of thing. And I love it. It's, it's feeling like the church. Uh, and I'm not saying I'm all bold and courageous now. Man, I just, I'm getting better. I'm getting better. I'm, I'm opening my mouth more. Um, that boldness is coming back. You know, people are praying for me. The courage is there. Um, but the best thing is I see the supernatural. Um, see, at the end, we didn't really get through the whole Great Commission. I don't want to leave any of it out. Um, at the end, it says... Uh, Make disciples of all nations, which I, I hope you guys are thinking about everyone, especially the lost everywhere, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I don't know what kind of church you come from and how much the Holy Spirit is emphasized. Um, I read a great book on that, Forgotten God. Um, but it's just, you guys... This is ridiculous if we are not trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit and we're just, that, that was something I was convicted about this morning again. Like, I just felt like God was saying, Francis, you're thinking way too hard. You're stressing yourself. I've been sick for three months, you know? It's just one of those things where I know it's stress-induced and I know that sin. I gotta get it out of my life. You know, I'm all anxious about my sin now, you know, of not being at peace. And, and so I get that, I get that. It's like the Lord saying, come on. <clears throat> See, the old Francis, the old good part of me was, man, I just didn't care what people thought. I would just read the scriptures and I would just try something. You know, you just go. You're just like, man, that's right. That's what the Bible said. I'm going to go do it, you know. And you just try stuff. You try stuff. But then over the years, um, you start, uh, you start making mistakes, which, you know, you fail. I, I, I can name so many failures. That gets you down a little bit. But you're like, well, we're going to fail. We're human. Let's just keep going. Let's just try stuff. But then people start criticizing you and telling you why your plan won't work. And they remind you of the times when your plans didn't work. And so you start second-guessing everything. And then you start playing it safe. You start fearing failure and uh and that started happening in my life because what happens is not only do you start getting criticized but the more successful you are at some things the criticism gets better they people that are a lot smarter than you start criticizing you it's like oh man he's got two phds I, and he's writing against me all right i'll just that I want to do nothing, you know, or I'll, let me think this through a little bit more. Let me think this through. Oh, that guy, his church is bigger than me. It, 
let me think this through a little bit more. And you just get into this thinking mode, going, yeah, maybe he's right. If I do that, yeah, that might happen. Oh, if I do that, that might happen. You guys, and pretty soon you just don't even try anything. And you're just stressed out because you can't find the perfect solution. And, and this morning was a time where the Lord was just saying, man, what happened to you? Man, just go and try stuff. Man, you remember when you tried this and it failed? You know, big deal. Man, I'm just thinking, you know, just, just yesterday, just all the things I did that failed, and I just laugh about it. You know, even this, this whole thing where we're knocking on doors, you, you know, like, like we were trying to plan it out so much, and, and, uh, and, and my friend Christian and I, we just finally said, forget it, I can't even think anymore, we're overthinking this, let's just walk into a building and start knocking on doors. I'm like, all right, let's go, you know, we just start knocking on doors and, you know, just start talking to people, let's just see what happens. That's how it started. And then it was like, okay, let's gather more people to this. This is awesome. And so we prepared this launch. It was for uh, September of last year. You know, right after our conference, I go, man, at our conference, you know, we, we promised we're going to launch something in September. So people show up, you know. And so September shows up, and only like 15 people showed up. And, and we said, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. But then we didn't really have a plan. And so people stopped coming. And uh, we're like, what do we do now? And so last November, I'm going, let's launch again and pretend we never really launched. And this is our real launch. <laughs> so we had a second launch. And more people showed up. And we were able to keep the momentum. And most of them didn't know we had a first launch that didn't work. You just, you know, we just laugh about that now. I remember our first launch that didn't launch. It's like, you know, it's it just. <laughs> Shh, don't tell anyone, you know, it looks like we know what we're doing. You guys, but it was fun, you know? It's just like, let's just try something. Let's just go for it. Um, you know, it was like Paul, he would just go somewhere, and the Holy Spirit's like, nah, that's not where I want you to go. Paul did it. It was David, you know, trying to build the temple, and and Second Chronicles 6, 7, and 8, you know, uh, Solomon says, yeah, David, my dad, tried to build the temple, and and God stopped him and said, no, you're not going to do it. My son is. But what I love in that verse is it says, God said to him, it is good that you have this in your heart to build this temple for me. Nevertheless, it's not you that's going to do it. And I love the, that wording that God chose. Like, I'm glad that was in your heart. I remember trying to start an inner city church when I was in Southern California, when I was pastoring in Simi Valley. You know, they, they had me teach the church planting class at this college that I started that, that, again, it's like, let's just try to start a college. It can't be that hard. You, you know, and so we start this college, and that one actually worked. You know, there's like, I'll teach church planting. I planted a church, you know, and so then I got this brilliant idea of, I don't want to lecture people on how to plant a church. Let's go plant one. And I told all my students, we're going to go into Watts and we're going to plant a church this semester. Come follow me, you know, and I will make you a church planner. And we go in and we're playing basketball with the people. I go, this is the first thing you do. Just build relationships. We'll get them over there. We've got a gym we can borrow. And then at the end of the semester, we're going to tell them it's going to be a church. So people start coming, you know, and I'm teaching my class. You notice this. You notice this. These things are happening. It's happening. You know, we had a little kids program. And then came the end of the semester. You know, people have been sharing testimony, whatever else, building relationship. And I sat all the crew down. And I go, hey, you guys. You know, we've been coming here for a few months. Here's our heart is we want to turn this into a church now. Um, man, who's with us? 
No one. <laughs> Guys are going, well, we just wanted to play basketball. We don't know your church thing. We just like swatting you. And, you know, I'm like, so no one really wants to, like, none of this got, no. All right. Then I had to look at my class go, yeah, it didn't work. <laughs> you know, and it's embarrassing, you know, and, and almost you just feel like, I failed. I failed. I, I remember, you know, the church getting so full at one point. I'm going, okay, you guys, I only want you guys to come every other week, okay? Every other week, and this was back with VCRs and VHS tapes. I go, half of you are going to stay at home. We're going to run off videotapes. I got college students. They're going to drive them to your house. You're going to have home churches. This is like 10 years, whenever VCRs were, you know, and, and, and you're going to start these things in your home. You, who's with me? Yeah, let's do it. You know, and so a thousand people are meeting their homes while, you know, you're the A group and you're the B group. You can come to church next week, you know, but don't you come on an A week, you know, and <laughs> we just tried it and everyone got so angry. You know, they're like, man, I hate my leader. His kids run around out of control. I can't listen. And, you know, everyone starts fighting. I'm like, oh, it didn't work. And I used to get so bummed out, like, oh. I failed you, Lord. I failed you, Lord. Then I, rem- then I look at the scripture and go, no, God's not going, Francis, you idiot. What's this A-week, B-week thing? <laughs> I-, I just, when I read scripture and I look at that passage, how he dealt with David, I just now, I picture God going, let's look at Francis. He's so cute. You know, he's trying this thing. I love that guy. It's not going to work, but, you know. (laughs) It's good that he has it in his heart to start this thing and watch. It's good that he has it in his heart to reach more people. And now he's trying this multiply thing. And I don't know what he, you know, whether it's going to happen or not. But, you know, I can stand before God and go, look, I I didn't bury my talent. I tried, you know. I thought this was going to happen. I thought this was going to happen. So understand, man, you know, you get enough pressure, and I don't want to be one more guy pressuring you. I'm just telling you, man, I'm in the boat with you, and we just try stuff. We're imperfect people. People miss the will of God. Paul thought he was supposed to go somewhere. He wasn't supposed to. David thought he was supposed to do something. He wasn't going to. You know, and all along you see people, and, and I think sometimes we don't get up and share our failures so you hear these guys up front like, I planned this out and it worked perfectly. And I'm just telling you, know, nothing works perfectly in my life. Um, and lately, I think I'm trying so hard to come up with the perfect plan that it's stressing me out. And I need to get back to the old me that just, just try it, laugh, enjoy the Lord, have peace about it. Let's just go for it. And if people get mad, they get mad. But if it's really the right heart, you're not trying to make a name for yourself. You're just trying to expand the kingdom. You're just going, God, I just want to seek your kingdom first and go after something. I, I don't have a plan for you in this discipleship thing. Like I said, I need the body of Christ. Don't come up to me after. Well, you can't come to me after because I'm taking off. But, but don't email me and say, okay, so how do I do it? I have no idea how to do it in your church. You've got a whole different set of people. And God's going to have to surround you with a different type of mind than mine. I'm a mouth. I can't figure out the structure thing. Any other people around me. And you've just got, somehow, you've got to figure out a way to release your people. And, and here's the thing. This is what I was getting at. I never even got to it. I don't know where I stopped. But 
when Jesus said, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's in the context of the Great Commission. You can't just take that part out of it and go, oh, Jesus is always with us. And so people in the church go, I, I, don't, I don't feel Jesus. I don't experience Jesus. And I'm going, well, do you make disciples? Because it seems like it's in that context. He goes, man, I'm, I'm giving you an impossible task. I'm telling you, 11 or you, 120, get it to the ends of the earth. Get that message out there. I, I mean, I'm not talking just teaching it. I'm saying teaching them to observe. I'm not just saying, you know, get them to pray or pray. I'm saying baptize them in the most dangerous situations in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, where they may come out and get shot right, well, or speared or whatever they did, you know, right after stone, right after they get out of the water. You go do that. You baptize them, and then you teach them to obey everything I commanded you. And you remember what I commanded you first. Follow me, and I'll make you a fisherman. Teach them to obey that. They've got to be fishers of men. This is, the, this is the body that I want. This is the body I died for a few days ago. It was one that was courageous, that, that they weren't cowards. They were overcomers. They didn't deny me. They confessed my name. So go teach them to obey that. And I know this is a crazy task. But I'm going to be with you. You're not doing this by yourself. Because in fact, go back to your little room there upper room. Don't even go do this because you, you will screw this up. Wait for the gift my father promised. Wait because you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Power for what? To be my witnesses. People say, well, I don't experience the Holy Spirit. I'm like, are you his witness? Are you witnessing? He didn't give you the Holy Spirit just so you could feel him in a worship service. Sing that song one more time. I almost felt it. Like, that's what we do. That's what we do as Christians. We want to gather in a room, and we want to feel. And you guys, please, I'm not saying we can't. I'm just saying, in general, when I read the scriptures, it's when people are out there putting their life on the line, trying something, that suddenly there's a unity the Holy Spirit brings. There's supernatural things happening. When the whole, man, I could sit here literally for hours, literally for hours, telling you stories of things that just happened in the last year. In fact, me and the guys got together about a month or two ago, and I go, man, let's just write down everything that happened in the last night, just the miracles in nine months. And we spent hours just typing, you know, just one guy would share, so remember this? Remember, I forgot about that one. I forgot about that one. I for I've never had a period in my life where I've had this many supernatural things happening. But I've also never had a period in my life where I've shared the gospel this often and been with a group of people that are being his witnesses and making disciples. And do you know what it does to each of their faith? I, I, I mean, it's, it's insane. The biggest blessing is my family. Some asked, How, how's your family doing after the transition? You guys, I got the coolest family in the world right now. I'm telling you, I am telling you, it is insane where my family is with the Lord from where we were two years ago. It is night and day. My daughter is about to leave in six months. 
I mean, our, our family, my wife's in San Diego right now preaching, you know, a bunch of pastor's wives, um, you know, leading them, teaching them. My daughter's just in Dominican Republic, you know, and, and you know, doing these things for teens and teaching them how to care for the poor. You know, I, I, you know, we fly out tomorrow morning to Nashville. My wife's got, you, you know, we're just doing crazy stuff. They're knocking on doors with me. My, my daughter, man, it's just so, Halloween, too. What was that, last night, two nights ago? You know, she brings a resident from the Tenderloin, you know, this lady, you know, middle-aged lady that, that lives in this apartment, you know, goes, picks her up at BART and takes her to, to our house, has dinner with us, and goes trick-or-treating with our kids. And it's like, man, what? Sixteen-year-old girls are, are are doing this and and having conversations at night with these residents in the building, sharing the gospel with them, just doing anything she can. It, it, man, one of the coolest. And 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 what happens when you do that is, like about a month ago, she calls me up because I was preaching out in the San Jose area on a Sunday, so I had to miss our afternoon gathering, which I hate. She's like, Dad, it was awesome. She's calling me. Like, I, I couldn't wait to tell you everything that happened. And, and she goes, remember last week I was knocking on that one guy's door, and I saw a Bible, you know, on his nightstand, and I asked him, like, you ever read that thing? And the guy's like, no, not really. He goes, come. and my, my daughter's just like, come on, read it, read it, read it for me. You know, picture a little 16-year-old girl, you know, just knocking on your door, begging you to read, you know, you know, the some 60-year-old man and go, come on, just read Ephesians chapters 1 and 2. I'm going to ask you about it next week. We're going to study. We're going to have a Bible study right here in your room, okay? So you better read it. Read it for me. Will you read it for me? You know, that type of thing. <laughs> she, she goes, Dad, I went back to his room, and, uh, and I'm like, did you read it? And he's like, he goes, you're not going to believe what happened. And he goes, Rachel, I didn't read it. And this morning, I got a weird text message. I didn't understand it, and I pushed the button on the, that I was supposed to push, and my phone automatically started reading out loud Ephesians. He goes, I freaked out. <laughs> you know, so Rachel's like, Dad, can you believe it? He goes, he goes, he still doesn't know how a text could you could push a button and it would start reading the Bible and he doesn't know how it happened. And I'm just telling him, it's, it's God, it's God. Said, Dad, isn't that awesome? I go, yes, baby, yes. The things that have been happening where she'll pray for one of her friends at school and walk out the door and suddenly she's, you know, sitting there on the sidewalk like, I just prayed for you. I was up in my room praying specifically for you. What are you doing on the sidewalk? You, you know, things like that. Oh, one of the coolest was... Uh, Soon after we moved out here, some friends came and visited her, and uh, so she took them to Fisherman's Wharf and says, oh, you know, this is kind of the hangout place, you know, takes them over to In-N-Out, they're at Fisherman's Wharf. As she's going to In-N-Out, she sees a homeless lady sitting there, and so it's become second nature to her. I mean, she was 15 at the time. She just goes, hey, can I, can I get you a cheeseburger? So he's like, sure. So she goes in, gets a cheeseburger while her friends are hanging out. She comes back out, gives it to the lady and says, hey, do you mind if I have lunch with you? And uh, the lady's like, sure. So little Rachel just sits down, lays out the gospel for this lady. And the lady just looks at her and goes, this is really weird. You know, she goes, two months ago, someone came and talked to me about Jesus. And she goes, the weirdest part about this, she goes, when you were walking up to me 
I was thinking about the conversation that guy had with me. Because when he left, he told me that some pastor from Southern California just moved up here and has a ministry a mile down the road, and I need to go see his ministry. And literally, as you were walking up, I was literally trying to figure out what the name of that pastor was. And my daughter looks at her and goes, was it Francis Chan? And this lady goes, yeah, that's it. That's it. And she's like, that's my dad. And she says, she looks at this lady. She goes, dad, I just looked at her and go, Kathy, could this ever be a coincidence? Or is God trying to get a hold of you right now? Why in the world would I be walking up while you're trying to figure out the name of my dad? Like, like these are, you know, and my daughter's just going, this is crazy. I got that. Welcome to my world, baby. So why when she leaves home in six months, am I cool with it? Because she's experiencing God. Because she's going out making disciples. And when you make disciples, you experience the presence of Christ. You experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, why is it that all the stats are saying, what, 60 to 90% of our kids ditch the faith when they're 18? Because I'm going, I don't think they've experienced Jesus. You know, they've experienced fun times in youth group. And if, if uh, you know, I go to college and there's a fun youth group there, then I'll go. If not, then I'm going to party. No, but when you've experienced Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, by going out and making disciples. Man, a lot of this writing, this material for me was, was helping my own kids. I wanted to make sure they knew. I wanted to teach. I wasn't good at having Bible study. Um, with my family. I didn't know what to teach them through. It's weird. They hear me preach. I'm not going to preach to them at home. Like, I just wasn't good at that. Um, but I just started thinking, okay, what do I want my kids to know and really get? And let's get this and let me teach them. And it just felt like a failure as far as really teaching my kids. It's only been the last couple of years that I've been teaching them anything. And, uh, but it's been awesome. And for me, like, to see my kids, my, my 12-year-old, raising her hand in class because uh, this teacher, um, they go to public school, um, and my teacher, the, her, her teacher uh, was quoting scripture and just kind of says, you know, it's just like Jesus says in the Bible, it's better to follow your heart than to follow the commands. <laughs> my, this is when my daughter was 11, it was in seventh grade. She raised her hand and goes, uh, it's my second daughter. She goes, um, what, what verse is that? And the teacher's like, I don't know, but it's in there. And she just says, um, can you, can you uh, find the verse and tell us tomorrow? And uh, he goes, okay, I will. She comes back to class the next day. Did you find the verse? <laughs> and he goes, no, it's, it, it, I didn't find it, but it's in there. And she goes, well, I've been reading the Bible and I've never seen it. And he goes, oh, it's in there. She goes, well, I asked my dad and he had been reading the Bible a long time and he says, it's not there. And he goes, oh, okay, well, you know, but it's like, yeah, you go a little mercy. You know, like I just, it's just seeing that and her faith and, you know, and someone else even just said just recently, this guy was telling me he's, his friend is an EMT, you know, drives an ambulance and 
And he goes, man, weirdest thing. I was driving this drug addict guy to the hospital. He's almost died. I'm driving him back. He's all depressed. And he says, man, the only bright spot in my life is this little 12-year-old girl that knocks on my door once a week and brings me cookies. And she bakes these cookies for me. And and, uh, and ends up, it's my little girl, Mercy. And it's like, man, you know what? Like, this is the st- this is it, you know? Like, man, there's something different when we go out and make disciples, where we experience God. And so, if nothing else, I'm going, I'm experiencing it. Because I'd love to tell you, okay, this is, this is the, what's the title? This one's like a, what's the second? The challenge, okay. You know, something like that. It is a challenge. Okay, back there. Um, no. <laughs> Here's the challenge. It is a challenge. Um, Because I don't want to make this sound like, oh, this is awesome. Francis started this new ministry. He loves it. I do. But it's very hard. And there's no guarantee of fruit when you go and try to make disciples. Look, I can pretty much guarantee that if you give me a building that I could figure out a program and preach messages well enough and get a good enough band to fill the auditorium, I think I can do that. Almost guarantee that. But when you get to making disciples, that means getting into a person's life and teaching them to obey things that they don't necessarily obey and will cause them to walk away from you. And like 2 Timothy 4 does promise, they'll actually leave you and go find some place where their ears will be tickled. That'll teach them things that will go according to their passions. So discipleship and preaching the true word of God in a context where you're teaching them to obey the gospel is not popular. I'd love to tell you that these different stories, and I've got so many more of supernatural, where we're going, what just happened? I'd love to tell you that all those people repented and they're a part of our body now, but they're not. And it blows my mind. I go, man, you just experienced a miracle. And Jesus says, well, I could even have someone rise from the dead and they still won't believe. But it still shocks me because I'm like, how could you not believe after that? How could you not believe? But, but then you tell them the cost of following Christ and that's why they won't believe. Like, you're telling me i got to give up this habit, this habit, this habit, her and him? You know, it's like, yeah, you gotta, you got to pick up your cross and follow him. No thanks. And it's depressing. You know, just two days ago, one of my guys like, man, we're not seeing the fruit. Why, why do we even keep doing this? I go, we weren't guaranteed that kind of fruit. We've seen God move, right? We've experienced God. But I don't want to make you think that, okay, all these miracles meant repentance. No, that's not guaranteed. Jesus didn't say, do this, and there will be revival. He says, do this, and I'll be with you. I go, have we not experienced Jesus? And all the guys will agree, yeah, we've definitely experienced Jesus. Have we experienced the Holy Spirit? Yeah, we've experienced the Holy Spirit. Are we experiencing church the way it was meant to be, this unity and this drive? Yeah, we're experiencing that. I said, so let's make sure that we worship Jesus and not revival. Because it's very easy. You know, that's why Jesus said, you know, when those, was it the 
72 or 70, depending on what version you have, you know, come back and they're just elated because, man, we're casting out demons, this and that. And Jesus says, don't, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your name's written in the book of life. Because he knew ministry would be, you know, and there was promise of difficult suffering times. And if we make our joy, the church is huge now, or the joy is like, ah, everyone's happy with me. We're never going to have joy. The joy is while I'm experiencing Jesus because I'm out making disciples. I'm experiencing power. He's answering the prayers. This is a good, this is a good thing. And so I, I, I would also warn you, another one of the challenges of discipleship is, is money. Um, if you spend a lot of time out sharing your faith and there's not a lot of fruit from that, you could have been doing other things in the church that could have drawn a bigger crowd and gotten you a bigger offering. Um, making disciples may cause you to even lose your position and you may have to find another way to make a living. Um, you know, if you're a youth pastor trying to make disciples and the church is expecting a certain number of youth, truthfully, you probably won't have your job that long, um, depending on who your pastor is. Um, if you're a pastor and you're trying to really dig deep and make some disciples and reproduce yourself, and it starts affecting numbers, attendance, um, you're going to get a lot of flack from people. Um, this, is, this is one of the things that I, I told the church in Korea, varying in numbers and success, wherever else, I go, man, I love a lot of stuff, but my concern is, is that you would have seen Jesus as a failure. Um, and you would have kept your kids away from Jesus. Don't follow that guy, go study. You, you know, so don't follow that guy, he's only got 12 people following him. He had 6,000, they all left. And that's gonna be your role model? Um, look, I, let's, just, let's just be honest here, like it's, it's a scary thing. And so that's why I, I think as pastors, one of the things I, I try to do from the, from the get-go was set myself up so I wasn't dependent. Um, even financially, when I decided to start a church, it was two weeks into my marriage when it came to me. You know, this was the old me, like, I think I'm supposed to start a church. You know, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's do it. You know, and I just looked at my new bride, and I said, so that means you're going to work and support us? Is that cool? You know, look, I'm not going to take any money from the church. I don't know if anyone's going to show up. Um, it's like, all right, let's do this thing, you know? All right, honey, you're awesome. You're amazing. You're going to support us for a while. And, and, and it's just really setting ourselves up and going, okay, let's, let's, let's make sure we got this right. Let's not rent anything too expensive. Let's not buy any new cars. Let's do whatever because I don't want to be owned, you know, to where I, I have to get this paycheck. I want to live so simply that, look, if, I'm, if i got to follow my convictions and everyone leaves the church, I'll just go wait tables and we should still be able to survive because we keep our life simple enough because I don't want to be dependent. And that's the way I started, and that's been my conviction, is I don't want to be dependent on a paycheck. The latest Barna study said that, it, man, I'm, I'm reading these different studies on where pastors are at. Anything, anywhere between 60 and 82%, so somewhere in there, based on all these different studies. 60 to 80 per, 82% of the pastors in America today 
would leave their jobs today if they could find something else that would pay them just as well. That's crazy. So the only reason why they're still doing it is they're going, well, how else am I going to make money? I went to seminary. Who's going to hire a seminary grad? And they're thinking, I don't want to do this, but I don't know how else to feed my family. I'm not going to make this much doing something else. And so then suddenly we're doing this for the money. And that breaks my heart. And I try to set my life up so that, no, I don't, I don't want this to ever be about the money. I want to keep it so simple. I can do whatever. I could leave at any moment if this is not God's calling on my life. But man, God has called me to shepherd. God made me for this. I'm here today because I believe God wanted me right here saying this to you, doing this right now. I'm leaving to do this global forum thing in half an hour, you know, on human trafficking because I believe that's what God has called me to do. I'm leaving for another meeting at three in San Francisco to talk about maybe starting a, a training center there within partnering with a university and starting some accessible Bible training. Why? Because I think that's what God wants me to do. I don't think, okay, well, how much are they going to pay me to converge? How much are they going to do? A, you know, and uh, I, I got to be free. That's the whole First Corinthians 7 thing about being single was, man, why? It was, it was to make it so that you could have undistracted devotion to the Lord. That was the point of 1 Corinthians 7. You know, hey, maybe you should stay single because a, a married man's going to be distracted with this, distracted by that, and there's more important things. So those of you who are married, you should live like you're single. You know, live as though you're not. You know, the whole thing is we've got to get the gospel. We've got to get the gospel. We make our decisions based upon how can I get the kingdom expanded. It's not money. It's not, well, what would my wife want? Man, I, I had to look through and wrestle through that passage. Does God want me single? And, and I'm going, man, the goal is undistracted devotion to the Lord. And I'm thinking, man, I'm more distracted as a single man man. You know, I'm preaching at camps going, well, I'm going to counsel her later. You know, like I got to, you know, it's, it's like, this is more of a distraction to ministry. You, you know, it, it's just like, this is crazy. God, I, this is not my gift. Okay. I'm going to get married. You, you know, it's, it's just, how can I get it to where I'm free and I'm going out there? How can I be the greatest for the kingdom? And that's where, you know, my wife and I, we make decisions upon, okay, what's going to benefit the kingdom the most. And as we do that, man, the unity in our marriage and our family and our kids, Man, was it hard to, to pull my kids out of their schools, my, you know, five kids out of, out of all they knew, that one city. That's like, oh, we got to go. This is the kingdom. But, you know, you lose your life, you find it. Man, the very ones that I thought were going to be angry at me love me more than ever and were tighter than ever. You know, it's just you, you go, you pursue the kingdom, you seek that first. And the unity in your family, the love in the family, everything else, it just, it's, it's, Man, don't be afraid. Set yourself up so you make decisions on, if I stood before God, here's where he wants me to. If he, if he does not want you to be a pastor, quit. Figure it out. Just figure it out. Go, he'll provide for you. He will, as long as you're saying, you know what? I think for the sake of the kingdom, I'm not really helping this church. I'm actually hurting it. God, I'm going to take a step of faith. Or maybe you're not a pastor right now and you're, you're at a well-paying job and 
you believe for the sake of the kingdom, you'd actually be more effective as a pastor. Quit your other job. Go be a pastor. If you think you'd be more effective overseas, figure it out. And then don't make a decision on finances. That's what pagans do. You seek first the kingdom of God and all those things will be given to you. And people will always talk trash about you. They'll always question your decisions. Man, when I first made my decisions to, to live the way I was living and take what little I would take from the church, everyone would be on me going, you know what? You, you just wait. When you're older, your kids, they're not going to get to go to college. They're going to be angry at you. Blah, 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 blah. You just don't know because you're young. And you have no idea where this is going to take you because you're not saving. You're not this. You're not that. And I would just listen and go on. I don't know what else to do, man. This is what I see in scripture. And so now, you know, suddenly, wow, I can write. You know, I can speak. I can do all this stuff. And money's coming from all over the place. And everyone's like, well, it's easy for you because you make so much money. And you know you can make money. And it's like, ugh. You know, it's just whatever you do, there's going to be pushback. There's going to be people trying to discourage you from any step of faith. Because if you do something radical, that makes them feel convicted. And they don't like that. And so they're always going to push against a step of faith. And so I just encourage you, man, get alone with the word of God. Remember where you came from. Remember those early days when you just read the Word of God and go, I'm going to do this. I don't care. But then later on, you just start getting safer and safer. Well, well now my family's at stake. Now I got this big church. And now it's like, man, don't lose who God made you to be. Some of you took a big step of faith to go into ministry. And man, don't play it safe. Don't listen to all those voices. Maybe you got to blow everything up and just start making disciples again. Maybe you've got to try to turn your church. I don't know how to do it. Um, because we, this, it's not working, okay? It's just not working. If 70, 80, 90% of our kids are walking away from the Lord, that's not a good ratio. For me, that means three of my five kids will walk away under the current system. That's not good enough for me. It's not working when, you know, 50 pastors leave the pastorate every day in America. 1,500 quit every day. I mean, every, every month. It's not working. We're putting too much pressure on us to feed, 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 feed. Meanwhile, the criticism gets deeper and deeper and deeper. We're not going to last. The number one reason why those pastors are quitting is because people aren't listening to them. They won't follow their ideas. They won't follow their leadership. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Every time you try to do something, everyone's like, you know, I got a better idea. And we're like a bunch of generals trying to lead these soldiers going, okay, I'll follow you if your battle plan's the same as mine. It's like, ooh, this is going to be a great war. You know? We're just going to get nowhere. And maybe it's because the Lord wants to break up some of this stuff and say, let's disperse them then. But you've got to equip them to make disciples. You've got to equip them to where they can stand on their own two feet. Maybe they need some leadership like that. Okay, go start your own thing too. Because I'm telling you, I'm looking at the flow of our country. Some of you are my age or older. You've seen the changes over the last few decades. You see the, the homosexual agenda, the, the Islamic agenda. You see how, man, we got to be, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say that in a public forum anymore. And you speak against some of these things. Pretty soon you speak against abortion, whatever. It's going to be a hate crime. 
I mean, don't you see the writing on the wall? You really think our church, our, our country's going to repent suddenly? It's not looking that way. And so guys like me that want to get in front of thousands of people and say something will be taken out. And then what happens to the church? Do we become like Russia where the church just died? Or do we become like China where the church flourished when communism came in? Why? Because they were trained to make disciples.